The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. We have been in the book of John now for, for a while, and we'll be here for a lot longer than that. Uh, we've been uh, basically Pastor uh, Tracy has been speaking about John's intentionality uh, to pointing to Jesus' supernatural signs as revelation of Jesus as the Son of God, Savior of the world, and life giver, life transformer, the light and the hope of the world. So far, you know, we can put everything he said into those. And last week, Pastor Tracy began to give us a background on the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And uh, I did forget to say the children's going to the back. Uh, anyway, thank you. Thank you. Um, so he began to give us a background, an introduction uh, about the woman at the well in chapter 4. And it's interesting how he first begins with a question. And something along the lines of your church upbringing. What was your church upbringing? And I love the question. Because the minute he has a question, all kind of thoughts were going through my mind. And I know that all kind of thoughts were going through your mind also because you were answering. And, you know, all the answers were, yeah, we, we, we have known, had an idea that we knew of this God at that point. But some of them said, you know, I, we rejected God at that time. We rejected him because we were pursuing our own interests. Some just had a, their, their own church upbringing, right? But I love the question. Uh, you know, in, in, in the responses, uh, it, it's interesting those, those responses because he's pointing to the Samaritan woman and what is her background, right? And I be, believe that was his intention to bring that to us. What has been your background? And it doesn't matter what background we had before in the past. What matters is that you're here today and that you're here today leading others to the kingdom of God, so that is very important to understand. He spoke about belief systems. He spoke about that. He shared with you about John being specific about the, the location of Jacob's well. And that's very important. And he spoke about God's providence. He spoke about the four invisible walls that stood between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Religion, gender, racial, and moral walls. He was speaking about, and the truth is that today we have the same issue. Nothing has really changed. We had the same issues from the very beginning. And, and, and we have to deal with them. Jesus was dealing with those issues at that time. It's the same way today. We should take his example and realize that we have to deal with those issues also in our lives. He also reminded us about Jesus knowing that these, the, the needs that we all have the needs of humanity. He reminded us about Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus about, about a change of heart. I like that. About a change of heart, which gives really paramount significance to being born again. To being born again. He also talked about the contrast between Nicodemus and the woman at the well. He covered the first nine verses, as far as I, he explained to me in chapter 4. 
which includes the divine appointment, divine design of God for him to go through Samaria. And, and the significance of Jacob's well to go through Samaria. And, and the meeting with a woman, which really represented at that time a, a gender and racial challenge based on the condition of that time. And we have to remember that during this time, women are not really looked at as something that good. They thought of them as being, as being something unclean, even un, unclean more even than the Gentiles during this time in history. So it is important to understand that. Now, before I continue, I kind of, because uh, I, I think it was Anne, I, I really listened to the podcast, and I believe it was Anne that mentioned about how far out of the way he went, you know, when it came to the location. I believe it was her that said that. And, and I, I, I wanted you to uh, take, take a look at this map. Because when it comes to hatred and despise, and I believe it was you, right, that, that mentioned this, if, if you can see the route from Judea to Galilee, which is, which is where he was heading, but he decides to go through, through some area and stop at Sikar. But if you look at that, look at the straight line kind of going from Jerusalem to Galilee, but then look at that other line around. That's how far out of the way. That's east of the Jordan. That's how far out of the way the Jewish people were going to avoid the Samaritans. Just show you how much hate. And I started thinking about this. I'm thinking, you know, is there a time when we kind of go out of the way too? I know there, there have been times in my life that you know, I go, well, that person is there. Let me just walk this way, far away. I really don't want to speak to that person. I mean, I, I admit it. Even as a pastor, that happened to me here and there. It doesn't happen to me too much because I'd rather be a peacemaker than anything else. I really do. But we all can sometimes fall into, well, I don't really want to speak today to that person. But here, they have so much hatred, and that's how far they went. That is incredible. How much more of a distance they walked to get to the same place, from place to place. And by the way, when, when you look at this map, you can see in the middle of the Samaria, it's right in the middle of everything. And although the disciples were there and they were Jewish, they were trading with the Samaritans. That didn't stop them from trading with the Samaritans because they were in that area. When they said, we're going to go to the, to the town, they're, they're, the town is inside. It's inside there. So somehow they were able to trade whatever they were trading. But guess what? They hated each other, or they, Jewish people, hated them. So it is important to understand, and I know that, because to me that is key. Why did Jesus go through here, right? It is very important. Now, in, in, in John 4, Jesus is really, in John 4, uh, Jesus is, is ministering to a diverse group of people. You know, the sinful Samaritan woman, she's uh, ministering to his disciples, He's ministering to the Samaritan people that trusted him. And at the end, he's ministering to a nobleman and his household. He's doing that. Interesting how John fulfills the purpose of the gospel by demonstrating commonality here. Commonality between different kinds of people. Between different kinds of people. And what did they have in common? What did they have in common? At the end of the day, they all believe. They have faith. That's what they had in common. In chapter 4, we read about Jesus' second interview, right? Uh, the first interview was, interestingly, with Nicodemus, and then with a Samaritan woman. So, and, and 
it, it is important to understand how this happens. Why would he do this in this, in this context? What is he trying to teach us here? Because they're both so different. You see, the, the Samaritan woman story is an iconic story in the Bible. It's one of those stories that just hits you hard. And, and to be frank with you, the more you read it, the more you get into it, the more you can see things. This is what's so important to get connected with the Word of God and try to take time to listen, you know, to read and see how God is speaking to us through this, through every chapter of it. You know, and, and to me, when, I, when I'm reading about this woman at the well, this is about life transformation. It is hopeful. It is loving. It is full of forgiveness, full of grace. It is about truth and worshiping in truth. It is about Jesus ignoring foolish customs because the salvation of the woman and the entire village was at stake. Wow. He ignored that. What, kind of a, what, what is that telling the church today? What was he telling to his disciples? Because disciples are watching him. You, know, you see the disciples, the disciples say, oh, hold on a minute here. What, what is he doing? Excuse me. What is he doing? So it is important to un- understand that. You know, sometimes, and, and what we have to understand here is that not, not only that, but Jesus stayed with the Samaritans for two more days. He stayed with them to finish. He wanted to finish what he began at the well. At the well. And, and, and in today's world, I'll be frank with you, sometimes the church begins something, but they don't finish. Whether it is a program or it is thinking about something, you know, even as individuals sometimes, we fail to finish. I know that I've begun things and I have failed to finish. I raise my arm. You know, and we have to keep that in our minds. It's about finishing what God has given us to do. And Jesus here is finishing what his Father is, has given him to do. To go through sea car, not just speak to the woman, but speak to an entire village and finish. Then he leaves. You know, so that's very important to understand in this context. Very, very important. You know, and, and the difference about finishing is monumental. The difference about finishing is monumental because it relates to our final destination. It is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of life and death. And we have to realize that every time I walk up there, every time I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about life and death. I'm not kidding with you. In my subconscious. I'm thinking, okay, who doesn't know the Lord today? Who doesn't? And then I grieve for those that don't want to hear. And I pray for them, most, mostly. Because that's, 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 the, that's the most important thing, that we keep them in prayer. That we avoid that. You know, so it is a matter of life and death. The truth is that most of the Samaritans in the village became believers. Because it finished. So finishing is monumental, and I say that because it is important. Sometimes we begin something, but we also have to finish it. I know it could be tedious work, but we have to finish it. Have to finish it. And I've been there where I have done things, and I have had people come to the Lord, and, and I said, you know what, I'm in a different country doing one of those short-term missions, and, and people come to the Lord, and I have a sign. I've spoken to the pastor, the wife of the pastor, hey, Somebody here came to the Lord. Let's celebrate this. And I said, can you please continue to guide them? And I guarantee you that they didn't. I know that because that's the word of God from them. They were not taken and said, let me help you and disciple you. Like we're supposed to do with everyone. That's finishing. Discipline is finishing. 
So it is important to understand what Jesus is doing here and what he's trying to tell us. You know, uh, so this is about, and what happens when, when we finish is that there is church and kingdom growth. Church and kingdom growth. Jesus was bringing down walls. He's building his church and filling that void that humanity has. He filled the void that the Samaritan woman had. He filled the void that everyone in that village had, that everyone that believed in that village had. He filled that void. He's building his church. Like Pastor Tracy mentioned, he, you know, there was religious gender, you know, situation, gender, racial, and moral walls. He filled all of them. As we learn about the story, we need to ask ourselves these following questions. And, and, and you know, when I ask questions, I'm not. I'm asking a question a little now from in a, in, a, in a few minutes that I'm asking some people to participate. But I want you to just when I ask questions, it doesn't hit everyone the same. But we need to think about these things. And the first question that I have is, what was Jesus teaching his disciples about loving your neighbor? What is he really teaching us about that? You know, do you think that sometimes Christians may be too picky who they share the gospel with? Are we too picky sometimes? I've seen it. I've seen people that want to go on a, on a, on a mission trip because they're going to Hawaii. Or they're going to Bora Bora. And by the way, I, I might be tempted to go to Hawaii and Bora Bora too. Because it's a beautiful place, right? But the intentionality is not there. I've seen it where the intentions are just to go sightseeing instead of sharing the gospel. So we, we need to understand that. You know, what, what, what is Jesus trying to tell? This is not, this is a destination that Jesus knows that people need to be saved. Jonas was mentioned last week. Pastor said, you know, that guy in the, about the water. And, you, and Jonas, right? And, and, and well, the same thing. He sent Jonas to what? Save the Nineveh, right? Save those people because they were not believers. So it, 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 this God continues to work. You know, as Christians, are we afraid to share the truth of Jesus because maybe we may lose our friends or family members? That's a huge one. You have to think about this. Jesus is there speaking to the Samaritan woman. The disciples are looking and saying, well, what are you doing here? You know, maybe we don't, we don't want to be your friends anymore. Jesus didn't care. Jesus didn't care one bit. Sometimes we're just afraid to tell our family members or friends the truth. All we have to do is speak in love and in truth. That's it. They have ears to listen to it. But this is vital in our, in our, in our life. This is vital in our life. Do we understand that any other story in the Bible, I mean, they're all the same way. They all lead to the same thing. And by the way, this story about the Samaritan woman is, is not really about us. But, 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 but listen to this. But at the same time, God is looking down from his throne saying, this story is about my love for you, my love for us. It is about him, but at the same time, he's looking down saying, no, this is because I love you. And Pastor Tracy last week reminded you of John 3.16. For he's soul of the world, right? And you know the verse. And you know the verse. So you see, what is someone, what is someone you meet is from a different belief system. What would you do? 
And I'm going to open that for discussion for, for you to, to see how you, did, how, will you do, how will you share the gospel with people that are from a different belief system. I mean, I, I think for most of us, you know, unless you're a missionary or you go on mission trips, I think the easiest way to share the gospel is to start off with, you know, just living your life for the Lord the best you can and asking the Spirit to empower you. But it's through relationships. I don't, uh, I mean, sometimes I'll talk to people that come up to the shop that I don't really know and we'll get into a conversation. But for the most part, though, I think most of us, it's through relationships. You know, people notice things in your lives. I mean, that's how I became a Christian because I noticed how my neighbor's car ran into Carandy and Larry's house, and Larry didn't get upset, even though it messed his garage door up. I think I got upset for him, but uh, it was an accident. But, you know, I just noticed the way he reacted to it. And, you know, we became friends more and more, and then, you know, he introduced us to the church and the whole nine yards us up to the Lord. But I think it's through relationships. Yeah, I think really, at least in my case, you know, I don't, I don't go to people. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not walking through a mall saying, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. I think that's, that's more of a calling maybe on certain people's lives. Um, but I think for most of us, it's relationships. So, so if, if a group is, is, if they're not believers of Christ, and they're just from a different religion, how would you do that? Well, what, what, what is your game? Do you have a style to do that? And if you're talking to me again, I don't really think it's so much a style as it is. You just want to be who you are in Christ. So they notice that you're different. I'm not... I think sometimes the church, you know, I've heard this before. I probably even said it years ago. Oh, the church should be more like a business. You know, we should have a game plan or whatever. No, 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 no. The church needs to be who Christ wants us to be. You know, that's what the gospel is. It's not about us adapting to the world. It's about us coming out and pointing people to Christ. Amen to that. Uh, any, anyone else want to share anything else? Or? When, when specifically talking to somebody that has a different belief system, I think for me, a lot of times is asking a lot of questions, hmm. trying to get to the heart of why they believe what they believe. And then when you start to unravel that, you start to have those conversations, you start to realize that um, a lot of times the reason they believe what they believe is because they've got this God-shaped hole that needs to be filled. And that's just the thing that was there to grab their attention. And that uh, I've started recently um, starting to think about that in a much different way because I've always thought about it as organized religion, like if you're Jewish or you're Muslim or Hindu or something like that. And now I'm starting to realize that the secularism of our world is their religion. So if somebody doesn't really even believe in God, they still believe in something and they're actually following a religion they don't even know about. So that whole humanistic idea of, you know, all, all roads lead to one place. And it's been very interesting because I've had a lot of conversations with one specific coworker who believes that. And uh, so we've had a lot of chats about Jesus saying, I am the way. Awesome. Both of you did great. Anyone else right here? So I think what they both said is critical because uh, questions are critical to understand where they're coming from, whom you're talking to, and relationships are what open up the willingness to have those questions actually honestly answered. And so as you're doing the relationship and those questions, because you even said a coworker, so that's someone who you're building a relationship with too. So 
both of those are so critical. And, and for me, you know, as, and I'm sure you guys probably do this too, as you start having those questions and those dialogues open, I'm always looking at um, the heart of what is it that they're holding on to and what is it that they're holding on to that they are believing. And, and in order to see similarities to where does that nugget of what they believe come from truth, right? Because there's one truth and everything else is a, is, is a fracture of that truth, which makes it an idolatry at that point. And so how do I take that one nugget that I can find what they believe and bring it back to where it connects to the truth in order to show them how this is greater uh, accomplished or greater fulfilled in who Jesus is, what he did, why does it matter? And, 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 and in that manifestation of Christ and uh, and 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 it, it, it always works too. No matter where their belief system is, from Hinduism to Muslims to secularists to you know even atheists, like whatever, where is it? What are they holding on to? Yeah, and uh, and and truly, relationships are how they open up to those questions, and uh, and then just kind of bridging it. Amen to that. See, we have diverse answers here because, to be honest with you, there's no style. There's no way to do anything but to be walking with Jesus within the circle of Jesus Christ and living in the Spirit. I was once asked by a pastor, uh, to say with me because he sent us to a place where they were, and it was really a Spanish thing that they had like one Spanish person, and I spoke to her. I said, How come you didn't find any more? I said, Well, that's only one. She, he goes, What is your style? And it kind of hit me. What style? I didn't say anything back to him, but I said, what is he talking about style? When I go meet with people, it's basically what these guys are saying here. It's about living the Spirit. It's about relationships. It's about, it's about asking questions to get to know them more. You know, of course, Jesus knows the Samaritan woman's heart. She knew she had five men before, the one she had now at that point. But he was trying to build a relationship you know, and there were questions asked, and I'm sure there were many questions asked when he was there sharing with the entire village. I am sure there were a lot of questions asked. If not, nothing would have happened. So it is important to understand that, you know, and, and as, as I continue here, and, I, and I'll be sharing with you, then Pastor Tracy covered up to the verse 9. That's what he told me. I will share, you know, in a I'll give you theological insight on this story, based on the following verses, right? I'm going to unpack the verses the best way I can. It's not going to be a, uh, you know, an exegetical study or anything like that. Just easy, just just so we can see this better, so we can connect with it better. And, and as as I continue here, I'm going to begin with verse 10, where it says, "Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink.'" You will have asked me. You will have asked him. And he will have given you living water. You know, it's interesting how Jesus first stimulates her, her curiosity. He first is stimulating her curiosity like, okay, before pointing to the, to the woman's ignorance about who he was, what he, who he was, what he had to offer 
and now how could she receive it? That is important. So when we look at this verse, if you knew, if somebody asks you, do you know? We immediately perk our ears and go, huh? Do I know what? So she, he's beginning here with, do you know? And this is very important because, and this, this you know, this is, uh, the, the guys were saying thing here that, uh, that relate to this. The questions that you need to ask, right? Do you know? That is very important. I never really, I love to teach. When I teach, I teach. With, I ask a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. You'd be surprised how many people, people's answers are amazing. It, it gives you new insight on the Word of God. It, like, like it just happened just now. It is amazing to me. So we need to understand that about this first verse. If you knew the gift of God, but she didn't know the gift of God yet, right? Uh, in other words, here Jesus is in a missionary and an evangelistic, you know, heart. He was at work. And, and, and we have to understand that. Jesus is missionary. We know very well from Matthew 28, 18, 20 that he calls us to share the gospel with others, right? So here, since the beginning of the world, God has always been missionary. His son Jesus is still missionary. Here, just Jesus' missionary and evangelistic heart was at work. Was at work. He knew that it was a matter of life and death, like I just mentioned before. He knew that. And he was also teaching his disciples, as he's teaching us, that we should have such a heart, a missionary heart. The reason why churches today fail with sharing the gospel with others, and it's the 80-20 rule. It's not a good rule in, in, in church, where 80 doesn't really share and 20 unless do. It's because the churches do not have a missionary heart. And that begins always, always at the top. People need to understand the missionary heart that Jesus had. And, and you'll know by now how I feel about missions. Because I truly believe that a good church has to be a missionary church. And here Jesus is teaching the apostles, we have to be missionary. Want, want to know how to captivate someone's attention? Want to know how to do that? Well, here, here's the answer in that verse. If you knew, like I just said, if you knew. So, you know, how would you convey the gift to God to others? You just explain different ways in, in which you can do it because that is always led by the Holy Spirit. Always led by the Holy Spirit of God. Please remember that when we share God's word, everyone we meet is different. And that's what the guys were saying. Everyone we meet is different. I remember being in Waimama one time at an evangelistic event. And some people were sharing... Uh, uh, I was leading this group, and, and someone came and said, you know, we tried to speak to these four guys, but I don't think they're listening. So I went to them, to the four guys, and I said, hi, how are you? And the first thing out of my mouth was, hey, you guys planning on going to the club tonight? They were all dressed like they were going to go out partying. And immediately, boom, it grabbed their attention. Now, that is kind of a strange thing to say, right? I mean, you're a man of God. Why are you talking about clubs? Uh, you know, when you go to the book of Romans and Paul goes to, the, to Greece and speaking to the people there, the, you know, and, and, and he, he, began, he broke the ice with something that got not, had nothing to do with the gospel. Here you bring something. You, I'm asking these guys, but you know what happens? That began a conversation. 
And that conversation led the four of them to accept Jesus Christ in their hearts. True story. Now, that's kind of strange. I'm not saying every time I'm going to ask you, hey, you know, are you going to the club tonight? I'm not going to ask that all the time. That's just the way it is. Sometimes I use reverse psychology on people. I tell them exactly like, 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 like it is or what I believe they're, they're thinking. So there's no given way. But Jesus here is, begins with, if you do me. That's verse 10. On verse 11, it says, sir. By the way, there was the, the word sir back in that time was used for most men, right? Sir. It was a common word used. The, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Of course, Jesus here means spiritual water, but the woman has not interpreted as spiritual water. She thinks it's literal water. And, and, and by the way, this was a deep well. Do you know that today, this well, Jacob's well, is still one of the deepest well in Palestine? It still is. It's, a hundred, it's about 100 feet deep. You know, and and we, when we think about the well, how, how deep it is, right? How deep it is. But no well, of course, is deeper than the well of Jesus Christ, of the living word of Jesus Christ, of the living water of Jesus Christ. You see, capturing the spiritual concept of Jesus was made more difficult by the lack, the lack of prophets and knowledge in the ways of the Lord. Aaron spoke about that, about that a little bit. People lacking this knowledge that they don't know. There was a lack of that. That should make us think about the power of Scripture. When we're lacking sometimes because perhaps we're not connecting. Or perhaps we're connecting, but we're not really paying attention. You know, so, so we have to try to grasp that. You know, do, do you ever wonder what happens when our society doesn't teach our children in the ways of the Lord? Because right now, the way I see it is, everybody has a, basically has a Bible in their house. They shine it, put under the bright lights. And that's it. They rarely read it. As they have children, they, they don't read it themselves, and they don't read it to their children. So there's, no, there's a lack of something there, right? There's something missing. And this is what's happening in the homes. You wonder where the world is going. It is the way it is. If, what are they really studying? Netflix? Watching the political world and... No, 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 no. You know, this is what's important. We have to remember what Moses and Joshua told their people. To teach your children in the ways of the Lord. Always do that. Always begin there. Now, if somebody has not been taught in the ways of the Lord, of course, at some point they, they can begin at any, any given time. So you have nothing to draw with. You know, here again, you know, this is living water. To us, the living water is... Living water is the spirit of God, right? But to capture that, we have to make sure that to continue and live in the spirit, we have to be connected with the word of God. That is important. You see, people who ignore or reject Jesus leave their lives lacking. People who reject Jesus are going to leave their lives lacking. And this is what she's showing us here. She doesn't know much about him. He knew of, of a Messiah coming. But that was all in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his son and his livestock? She was basically asking here, hey, what's your game? Well, hold on a minute here. What's your game? What's your game? 
As if Jesus was claiming spiritual power over the prophets or Jacob. Although we know he has. He has it. But that's what she's thinking. You know, she's probably thinking, you know what? Are you really greater than our fathers and our prophets? You, you, you know who their fathers and prophets were? You to mention a few. That was, that was Adam. That was Moses. The Samaritans only believe in the first five books of the Bible. The Torah. That's it. They didn't believe in anything else, anything else in the Old Testament. That's all that they believe in. So who are you? She said, who are you? Who are you? And, and, and we must understand that at this point, Jesus is challenging her. She's challenging the tradition of Jacob digging the well. She, he is doing that. And, and the question to ask ourselves here, you know, do we do that? Do we challenge other people's traditions? Do we? And how? And that was part of the question at, at the beginning. When you go out there, you know, the, there's something called, con, called contextualization. That means that whenever we go share to people everywhere else, we have to respect how they dress, what they eat, their way of life, if we want to really get to them. Now, if you look at this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, she, he is respecting all that. He's not being mean to her. But he, at the same time, in his own way, like you all say here, he's challenging her. He's challenging something here. He's challenging the, tra he's challenging the traditions of many people. And, and, and it's funny how even today, there's a very small percentage of Samaritan people that still live there, that worship you know, in Mount Gerizim, that they still worship there today. There's still a small percentage of people that do that. They have not believed any time. But you're always going to have that anyway. So, you know, here Jesus, again, is greater than, than Jacob. And Jesus offers something greater than anybody else, which is eternity. Eternity is Jesus' greatest gift. Greatest gift. You know, in the Christian life, we must be careful that we don't place traditions ahead of Jesus, even spiritual leaders, even spiritual But, of course, in the case of the Samaritan woman, she was ignorant to the truth. She was really ignorant. She just didn't know. She heard of something. Somehow, nobody really can explain how did she know about the Messiah coming from where she was coming from. But somehow I'm sure that she heard it somewhere. And, and, and what is interesting is the claim about Jacob by the, by the woman at the well, since Jacob is considered the founder of the Jewish nation. Wow. He's the founder of the Jewish nation. Joseph is considered the founder of the Samaritans. So it's interesting. Going to uh, verse 13, Jesus says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. See, Jesus doesn't really answer her question here, you know, about things. But he's trying to make her aware that his living water is not about bodily satisfaction, but it's about spiritual satisfaction. It's about eternal satisfaction. He was again reminding us that this was about life and death. I said that three times today. All this that we're studying is about a, a matter of life and death. That is what it's all about. That is what it boils down to. 
It's about life and death. When you really think about it, that's it. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that's what the verse finished up saying. And, and you know, when we read John 7, verses 38, 39, John 7, 38, 39, this, this is what it says. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, who those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, in verse 19, the inner spirit. It's about the inner spirit. Something Jesus free, freely can provide. We have to understand this about the well. The well requires work. Jesus' spiritual water, spiritual spring, does not require any work. The, the, you go to a well, you need to, to put the bucket down and just bring it down, then bring it up. And if you hear the stories like, I know many of you may, may know the stories, that when my parents were young, they used to, women used to put a bucket of whatever, walk down the river a mile, clean, bring water with a bucket, walk up a hill. That's our work. That's our work. So we, we, have, we have to put that in, in, into context, this living water about, that Jesus gives. And I know, I know quite a few of you know this. I know that, but this is a constant reminder about that life and death situation and how we're supposed to continue to strive toward being more like Christ. See, the things of the world never really satisfy anyone. This water, water wasn't really satisfying the woman, obviously, because she had... Six men in her life. All they do is lead to destruction. That's what the things of the world do. And not to say that water is bad. Water is good for us. But we need to focus more on the spiritual water. Of God. And that was the message he was trying to give the Samaritan woman. Focus on me. Right here. Having a conversation with you. Hey, 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 you are there. Hey, disciples. Remember this. Having a conversation with her. And guess what? She's despised by you. You've been taught to despise her. It's a good thing I'm here for you. That's what he's telling her. That, that's what he's telling us. In verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. It seems like she was tired again of Having to go back and forth. She's saying, have to keep coming here to draw water. You see, it was a burden to her to every day walk to the well and get water. It was a burden to her. And Jesus is sitting there thinking, yes, I know it is a burden to you. Her, her biggest burden was not drawing water from the well. That was not her biggest burden. Her biggest burden was her sinful nature. Her sinful nature. Every day she carried her sin to the well. Every single day she carried her sin to the well. That was a burden she had. Believers should always surrender daily. You know, that, that, that's pointing to us too. At this point she's not a believer yet, but even when we sin. I know people that, that yeah, I'm a believer, and, but I confess every month. Well. We know very well that as we sin, we confess. And we ask for forgiveness. If now we're carrying that, oh, it's okay to lie. It's just a little lie. It's a white lie. Mm. Trust me. 
if the Spirit, if the Spirit of God is inside of us as it should be, then that's going to weigh on you. It's the weight on me how I had to lie for my ex-wife about her 40th birthday because I wanted to be a surprise. Then I caught myself thinking, man, all the lies are gone. Oh, of course, God forgave me. So don't, don't worry about it. But away from me for a while. What am I lying? Just to keep it a surprise. I'm sure it was for the good thing, but you know, it, we have to be careful with that. We, we, we got to continue to be in the presence of the Lord and not make sure that we're not carrying burdens. And even if you have a burden for the past, even if you have a past, even if you have a past that you don't want anyone to know, like she had an amazing past. And at that point, she's not willing to really tell him yet. She will in a little bit now, right? So the past, if you keep it there, don't keep it there in your heart. Bring it out. You have a burden, bring it out. She had a burden. Believers, believers, we should surrender daily too. You see, you see, until this point, Jesus is captivating her attention. And although the woman does not really know what she's asking for because of her blindfold, sinful nature, Jesus is patiently sowing and she's making progress. Hmm. Jesus is patiently sowing and she's making progress. I'm sure you, many of you here right now today sowing and you're patiently waiting, right? Because I know I am. Sometimes you wonder. But that's a good thing. But you see, she was not standing in no rocky place. She was not standing in, in any rocky place. She was standing in a beautiful place. You know, patiently. Are, are we patiently sowing with someone today? Are we, are we patiently, patiently sowing? Anywhere. Are we patiently Sowing. This is what Jesus is doing. He's sowing. He's sowing. It's amazing. And, and, and the problem here is that the world really likes sowers. It really do. We like sowers. The church likes sowers. God is saying we need more. We need more people to plow. This is not really just about you. It's about me and everyone else because I love them. So it is important to understand this. So to, to put in perspective the meaning of a faithful root, because this is, what, this is the root here is Jesus Christ, right? Matthew 13, 2021 20, says the following. Matthew 13, 2021 20, says, The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have not root, since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Obviously, here Jesus is the root. But the Samaritan woman had no root. But she was in need of good soil. And good soil was sitting in front of her. The power to heal. The power to transform a human being that is so sinful to something so beautiful like being a child of God. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Why did Jesus ask this question? You may ask. After all, what happened to the water he asked for? Had that ever happened to us? You ask somebody for a glass of water, but they come an hour later, they forgot. That's kind of what happened here. She forgot about the water. 
See, Jesus' intention was not the water. We know that by now, right? It's not that. Here, what's happening is Jesus is preparing her sinful heart to be moved to a position of admitting her sin and a position of conviction. In other words, with a conviction first, their conversation all this time is in vain. With a conviction, the conversation is in vain. You see, saving faith requires conviction and repentance. When I first came to the Lord, I was first convicted immensely. Then I repented. I asked God for forgiveness. And I felt the power of the Holy Spirit just enveloping me. And that's what he's trying to accomplish here. But he's put it in a place, in his own way, right? In his own way. And, he, and what he's doing here, he's touching her emotions. He's touching her emotions. He's touching her conscience. Her conscience. And place her in a position to deal with her sin. To deal with her sin. So that's, that's important. He's placing a position to deal with her sin. We're placed, every time we sin, we're placed in a position to deal with our sin, don't we? Don't we? Every time. And, and we do. We first go to God and ask for forgiveness in the name of Jesus. That's what we do. And we, if we do it from our heart, it's okay. You know, and, and, and that's the best thing that ever happened to her. That he placed her in a position to feel conviction and to deal with her sin. That's the first best thing that ever happened to the Samaritan woman. That is the best thing that ever happened to any of us. That is the best thing that will ever happen to any of us that we share the gospel with. That they come to that point, to that crossroad in their life where they're going to say, you know what, I need to make a decision. Am I going to stay in darkness or am I going to, I'm going to follow the light of Jesus Christ? This we need to do. It's just what it is. We can stop this. You see, conviction is good when you act on it. What, what, what it did here is stop her. It stopped the Samaritan woman right on her tracks. And that was the best thing again that happened to her. And I encountered this in my life. I see this today. I encounter people, you know, they're unmarried. Many people will tell you, this is my husband, and they don't even know Jesus, or they're living together. That's the truth. Oh, yes, yeah, my husband, so-and-so, it's my wife, so-and-so. And then when you start having a conversation with them, you realize. And then that they might not be married. And then when you ask, you know, I have my way to ask. And I'm not saying it's perfect. But I have my own way to ask. And, and, and you can tell right away, stops and right on their tracks. They really want to change the conversation. You can see that they know there's something wrong with that. <laughs> After all, we're made in God's image, right? So they, they, there's something wrong with that. They see it. Then he goes on, and he went and said, you're right when you say you have no husband. Then on, on chapter 18, the, he, he says, the fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you know have had, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Here, it's like Jesus, Jesus telling her, I know your life, but guess what? There's only one hope, and that hope is me, and I'm here in front of you. I'm standing in front of you. Yes, my living water will transform your life. That's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. 
I continue to verse 20. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. You know, have you noticed how conviction always changes the conversation? Have you ever noticed that? Conviction will change the conversation. Every time I'm speaking to somebody they, about Jesus, I don't care, it doesn't have to be about someone, someone that is unmarried, it's about anything. Conviction changes. They want to just change the conversation. They don't want to talk anymore about Jesus. They want to talk about religious things. They want to cut down some religion, and that's what they want to do. See, they don't focus on the truth because they, to begin with, they don't know the truth. The Samaritan woman did not know the truth. This is why it's so important to know the truth. This is the key to it. So conviction is people just, you know, change their conversation. That's okay. You don't have to get mad at them if they change the conversation. I don't. You know, I, knowing me, I kind of like to push it a little bit more sometimes, shouldn't you know? But you know, it's, it's just who I am. I'm a man of God. And I'm trying to be in truth to people. Here, the Samaritan woman had the opportunity to immediately confess her sin, but instead uses a red herring, a distraction, to solve an ancient dispute between the place of worship, between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans worship in Mount Gerizim and they're using Jerusalem. It is definitely much easier to talk to people about religion than to talk to them about facing their own sin. They, everybody kind of stop. And it's a good thing they stop. If you talk to me about something and it hits me right on, it stops in my tracks too. And I believe it does with you too. I believe that. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Once again, Jesus points to her spiritual ignorance. She didn't know who to worship, where to worship, and how to worship. She just didn't. Here Jesus is also pointing to Calvary and his sacrifice for humanity that inaugurates a new form of worship. That through the power of the Holy Spirit instead of mountain temples, which is what they were doing at the time. Verse 22 says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus was correcting you here. He, he, he was correcting the woman at the well. Not all religions are the same. Let, let, let me say that again. That's called pluralism. When people try to say, there's, doesn't matter their religion, there's, you all can make it to heaven. That's religious pluralism. That's a no-no. It's, it's gonna, it kind of reminds me of that here. right? I mean, not all religions are the same. No, they're not. Christianity is very exclusive for many reasons. You see, the Bible is of Jewish origin. Jesus was a Jew, and the first Christians were all Jews. In other words, salvation is through faith in God, which came through Israel, which is the nation chosen by God. Romans 9, verses 4 5 say the following. Romans 9, 4 5 say, The people of Israel, theirs is the, the, the adoption to sonship, theirs the divine glory, the covenant, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry. 
of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praise. Amen. I'm going to conclude today to kind of piggyback a little bit on what Pastor Tracy said last week. I'm going to conclude with this. And it is, uh, I'm going to read to you, it's from a theologian. Okay. It's a theologian, E.A. Bloom. E.A. Bloom is a theologian. And this is what he writes. He writes, this second interview is another illustration of the fact that he knew what is in man. John 2.25, by the way, says, God knows each person's heart. He continues, the Samaritan woman contrasts uh, sharply with Nicodemus. He was seeking. She was indifferent. He was a respected ruler. She was an outcast. He was serious. She was flippant. He was a Jew. She was a despised Samaritan. He was presumably moral. She was immoral. He was orthodox. She was heterodox. He was learned in religious matters. She was ignorant. Yet in spite of all the differences between these churchmen and this woman of the world, they both needed to be born again. Both had needs only Christ could meet. And there we end today's sermon. And again, I just, maybe it was not the most exciting way for me to go from verse to verse, but you know what? That's what God told me to do. So I did. And I encourage you to continue to really read, read this story because this is a powerful story. It really gives us so many examples of what Jesus was trying to do to teach everybody around him on what to do. We have to remember that Jesus is the parable of God, you know, the history of God. And he called us to be, we're supposed to be the history of Jesus Christ. And that's the teaching lesson here. Oh, Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful day that you have given us. Thank you for the hearts of every brother and sister here today. We just thank you that you're that you're getting us through this book of John, Lord, and that we thank you that you continue to give us knowledge and wisdom every day. Lord, we ask you that you continue to just inspire us in your ways to go and seek others as the Holy Spirit opens windows to share the gospel, that you place people in front of us, regardless of their religious background, regardless of whether they know you or not. Lord, we ask you that you place people today and every day in front of us, that we can begin a conversation with them, and that you help us with the power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, just accomplish what you want for them, which is salvation, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful day you have given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, thank you. Have a wonderful Sunday.